Välkomna till bibliotekspodden Solen. Den här gången spelar vi in live på Kulturfestivalen i Stockholm. Ämnet är det nordliga i litteraturen. Vi heter som vanligt Alice och Elias, mina kollegor som är här vid min sida. Jag heter Patrik och just idag så pratar vi engelska eftersom vi har en gäst som heter Daniel Chartier. Välkommen Daniel! Tack. And it's really a pleasure to, to have you here and to talk about uh, the north as a concept. Uh, and let's start from the beginning, um, something about you, Mr. Chartier. Uh, I hope my French is good. <laughs> Chartier, yes, is it good. something like Chartier? Yes, uh, Daniel Chartier. So, um, mm. like you said, I'm professor of literature at the University of Quebec in Montreal. And also I am a research chair on images of the North, winter and the Arctic. So when uh, this idea of a podcast on the north arrived, I could uh, think of writers that I very like about the north and the Arctic, and I selected one writer from home. And uh, even though it was difficult for me to select uh, Trans Trommer because it's difficult to talk in front of uh, Swedish people about this poet, but uh, I'm an admirator of this work, and I think it's very good to talk about the north using his poetry. Maybe we should mention then that we will be firstly discussing a little bit your um, research and what you work on, and then we will go into a literary discussion uh, about two authors, the Canadian Liz Tremblay, who is also uh, translated into Swedish in two books, but there are more in, in French. Um, and in English. And in English. Yes. And Thomas Tranströmer, who I think most of you are um, familiar with, the Swedish poet, uh, also Nobel laureate. But let's start from the beginning, not, not from the cradle, but, but still. Um, yeah, you're a professor uh, uh, on uh, Quebec literature. Uh, could you say something about uh, what is uh, specific about uh, Quebec literature? Hmm. Um, like and why did... shouldn't you say like, Canadian literature, like we did when we yes, met? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, Quebec is not always known in the world, so it's good to say a few words about uh, what it is. And uh, so the population of Quebec in North America is about the same as Sweden, uh, eight to nine million people. And uh, the literature dates back, actually, we noted this just before, from this church building. Uh, you see on the ceiling 1642. And that's about the dates where Quebec literature begins. So it's quite uh, an early literature. And uh, literature are always linguistic. So uh, uh, Quebec literature is written in French. Even though writers write in English, in uh, Yiddish, in uh, Cree, in Inuk, and uh, all the languages, uh, but the literature itself is in French. So it's like an experience uh, of French in, uh, on the American continent. But since Quebec is not a country and French is not the language only spoken in Quebec, we always have to compare to the others. So your reaction of talking about Keynesian literature, which we use only from the outside, from the inside it's not a concept we use for Quebec literature. Also to compare, is it the French literature in America, which is not exactly the case. The tradition is long enough to make a literature. 
but like we will see with Liz Tremblay later, uh, if we can summarize very quickly uh, Quebec literature, for me the three main uh, characteristics of this uh, literature, first is that um, for the writers, the language has always been something extremely important. Uh, one critic talked about over-consciousness from the writer of the language. Uh, they are very aware of the different kind of uh, words they use, um, the kind of social language that are used, but also the difference between Quebec French and French in uh, France. So, and also the political uh, struggle that Quebec had to deal. Uh, imagine Sweden and our case in a very simple way. Uh, you would be the only one speaking Swedish in Europe, and all the others would be speaking Russian, Spanish, Italian. So you would feel that 8 million people seems a lot, but it's not a lot when you compare to 300 million people around you, which is the case of uh, our situation. So the struggle for language has always been an integral part of literature, and small literature are often more political than uh, the others. So language. Uh, the other thing uh, that is very important is that it's also a literature that gives voice to people um, uh, who are not the winners. Uh, people who are in difficult situations, uh, people who have been marginalized by society, sexually marginalized, uh, the others. And the others have a great place in Quebec uh, literature since the beginning, and that's very important. It's not the literature that is interested in those who win, but those who are left behind. Uh, so in some way you would say it's a social literature. Uh, it deals a lot with changing things, uh, changing the minds. And again, it goes to the political side for this uh, point of view. And the last thing, of course, uh, my work um, uh, makes me uh, study this uh, factor all the time. Since the beginning, the French are arriving in a continent that is so cold, at a place that is so cold. Um, we hear wonderful thing about uh, Swedish winter in Transtromer, but actually they, we live in a winter that is extremely uh, different than the summer, <laughs> first of the thing. But if you see the city of one, uh, more than one million people in the world, uh, Montreal that has half the population of Quebec, so about 3.5 million people, is the coldest city on the planet, coldest big city on the planet. So winter has always been something like an experience. And even for immigrants today, they count the number of years they are in Quebec by the number of winters, because when you survive. And actually when people, the French people arrive and the English after, uh, they differentiate between those who visit and those who discovered, and those who discovered are those who spent one winter. So winter has been like a definition, it's like you, you become a citizen when you spent many winters. And in literary works, uh, for four centuries since the beginning uh, to least humbly, as you can see, winter is a literary figure. It's very important. It's an experience, but sometimes a character. Uh, it affects people. It makes them dream, but also, it makes that the life comes inside. Uh, people often ask about winter, and people answer about sport, skiing, and so on, which is interesting, but where do you spend your winter? Inside. And uh, actually, winter is the inside season. We see winter through the window, and a window is very similar to a literary work. 
fact, as a, as a vision that comes from the outside. So we look at it from a, a point of view that the exterior. So it became probably something that to differentiate Quebec literature to French literature in a very good way. And um, your uh, recent uh, publication, <coughs> What is Imagined North, uh, deals with different uh, questions about how one should, uh, the ethical questions that one, uh, that, one is, um, that one has to confront as a researcher. Uh, and you have, you have um, published this book in uh, many languages. Uh, I don't know how many, seven or eight? Uh, seven uh, languages. So, so um, it's, a, it's, a very, it's a very interesting uh, publication. Could you t tell me something about why you have written this mm -hmm. uh, sort of uh, pamphlet or uh, proclamation or what, 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 we, what, what uh, would you like to call it? Yeah, uh, it's an essay, but uh, we see the vision of the North or the Arctic. For, for me, it's, there's little difference between winter, Arctic and North from a cultural point of view. Uh, actually, winter is a temporary Arctic. When you are in Stockholm in a snowstorm, you have the condition of the Arctic for a few days or a few hours, so everything gets white, slippery, uh, colder less people, everything gets slower, and it is part of the same condition. So uh, from my point of view of winter, of course, uh, we try to see, is there something similar to cultures from the cold world, uh, including Sweden, including uh, the Inuit, uh, Greenland, including Russia, including uh, Norway. Uh, so do we have something similar, even if we don't have historical links? We don't. Uh, or very few immigrant immigration links neither. But is there something to, similar to live beside the rest of the world first? Because when you're at the north, there's no one in your back. You, are, you feel at the end. Uh, you feel in periphery for yourself of uh, Europe, for yourself of uh, United States, and sometimes uh, Europe. And uh, the other thing that is very important and gets to the ethical part, you were saying, is that uh, there's only 1% of the population in the world that lives in a cold climate. Uh, it means that you, as Swedish, there will be more people thinking about Sweden than you can express yourselves. And it's worse in the case of Iceland. And it's worse in the case of the Inuit people. And actually, you have billions of people on the planet that know about the Arctic and the North. And we are very few to say what is the real experience of the North. So we have been imagined by the others more than we could tell to the rest of the world for demographic reasons. And this is one factor. And the other is that the North itself has been a fascination for Europe for centuries. Actually, it goes back to the antique literature to today that the North, Thule, uh, the Great North, the Arctic has been a, a space of fascination. So mainly throughout uh, German, French, and British literature, and then by American popular culture that reenact all this all together, we created an imaginary world that is the North, uh, which is fascinating, completely uh, fascinating through different discourse, but very not based on experience, I would say. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, there's a big difference between the experience of the North and actually this vision that is good, but difference. Uh, to finish, just imagine that men arrived on the North Pole only in uh, 1910. So it was really discovered until 
like one century ago, mm -hmm. but it has been imagined for millennium. So there's a discourse about the North, and when you live in the North, it means that the other understand you through text and imagination more than reality. So it can cause some problems sometimes. When I, when I read about this, um, this idea of the North and the Arctic, uh, I, to, some, to some extent, uh, I, 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 I was reminded uh, of Orientalism by Edward Said, this imperialistic uh, thing, uh, thinking about the North. Yeah, you bring a very good question, and it goes more political in this sense, because yeah. Orientalism means that Europe controls uh, a continent. Yeah. And in many cases, we see that the Arctic is also a colonial space. Oh, yes. um, it can be from a country to another, like Denmark with uh, Greenland or the Faroe or Iceland, but it can be also inside the country, uh, like decision for northern Sweden are taken in Stockholm. Decision yes. for <laughs> uh, yeah, you come from the north. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, decision for yes, Finnmark. Yes, the common, uh, common view in the yeah, north of Sweden that people here in Stockholm are deciding how uh, making the decisions the about our lives. Absolutely, uh, the, the same would go for the Finnmark and Oslo, and for us, for the, all the area in the north. So it can be inside the country, and can be also other countries controlling other cultures, like in the case of Inuit and all the native people in Russia. And actually, we saw the North as resource, and that's mm. political. Uh, and in this case, I would say that the imagined North that seemed neutral at first is very uh, political in the sense that if you say that the North is empty, white, uh, as beautiful as in Transtroma, and I share these wonderful views of the calm and the silence of the forest, the North, and so on, but then it might give ideas to some people that then there's no one living there. So you can go mining and build dams and do everything. So the imagination part can play a political role in a vision of this territory, uh, despite the fact that we all share, I think, this wonderful idea of the North in literature and in uh, visual art and in cinema that is so strong. So that's why there's some ethical uh, point of view. And, and also, and, uh, yeah, and, and that so, sorry, but that that almost reminded me of uh, Kipling with the, the the burden of the white man. <laughs> sorry, but, but sorry, I, I'm too political today. <laughs> <laughs> but if we go back to an aesthetic point of yes, view, uh, yes, please, uh, we can say that the North has been simplified in this way. Uh, when yes. you see paintings about the North, usually it's horizontal. Uh, the white of the snow, the gray of the sky, you know, it's very limited, the number of colors. Um, the number of things that you see is limited. When there's a snowstorm, actually, we say the signs of the world are disappearing. You don't see the street name signs, uh, the, the ground is all white, all the ugliness of the world is hidden by the snow, temporary. So this simplification uh, is also a process that goes exactly in the same way that the discourse were. So the essay, if you think it's a pamphlet, the only idea that is behind is that we must recomplexify the North. Yes. Uh, recomplexify is a new word, and mm. it's very fun to invent new words. And it works well, you understood. <laughs> uh, the other word that was invented, uh, that we work for this, and that's something else, but think of winter, and uh, uh, we call it winter phobia. That is a feeling that some people don't like or dislike winter. And actually, it go like with racism. When someone say, oh, I like those people 
but, so the reality begins with a but, and the winter is always like this. I'm not uh, winter phobic, but the winter is long this year, but the winter is cold, but the winter is gray. Yes, that's a characteristic of winter, right? Being gray, cold, and long. And uh, so y y you actually accuse the, the thing of being itself in, in this case. <laughs> uh, so it goes to an ecology of the real. Um, how come we are so sensitive about climate change, uh, climate uh, plants, the environment, and finally when it comes to winter that is a natural phenomenon, it is okay to dislike, to, uh, to be against it. So going in the flow of the world, of the ecology of the world, will, see, will be also either you move or either you try to stay. And that's part of the identity of most uh, uh, Nordic uh, people. There's a poem that I very like from Quebec, and it says, we will not go. Hmm. That's very strange. Who will tell you to go? And why is it in future? And why is it negative? But you understand, despite, hmm. we will stay. It's not the same. We will not go is like a passivity that is very active, actually. And it's the case of most people that live in an abnormal climate, I would say, for the others, the majority. Yeah. So it goes to identity, and when we talk about recomplexifying, literary works are the most complex voice we can hear, so the writers are really there to recomplexify through their voice and their visions of uh, this idea. And one of those writers are this <coughs> Tremblay, uh, the Canadian writer. Uh, she, she was a, she was a, it was a new experience to read her literature and uh, her, her books, and I'm very happy to that, that, that we have this as a homework uh, yeah. before this session. Uh, what can what what can you tell us about her? She's slightly older than 60. She, she has written novels and short stories. Um. Well, I think it would be good to hear you too, but yeah, to, yeah, to say a few words, she's a novelist and yeah. she wrote seven novels yeah. uh, that always deal with space and uh, characters, social identification to space. Uh, Winter has always been uh, a character in his work and she comes from the north of Quebec and uh, her novels are always short, very simple. She removes all the words that are not necessary and like you you told me the other day, no humor at all. <laughs> but I didn't see that yeah. at first. And there's one thing, she, not the humor, but that she's written short books, not so much something has in common with Tranströmer. Absolutely. Uh, she, uh, and we have read today uh, in English the one called Mile End in French. It's La Danse Juive, so it would be Jewish dance in French, but then uh, Mile End, which is Mile an area of Montreal. the English title. It's going to be published in Swedish. Sometimes uh, in Next French, uh, maybe 15 years ago, yeah. Yeah, and maybe in Swedish in a, this winter, hopefully. Uh, yeah, uh, by the publisher Ramus. Yes, who published uh, one of the novels that is in Swedish, Hagen. It's called in Swedish, and it's short stories. The short stories who intermingle. So, 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 uh, one short short story comment uh, some people who are from another story and. Uh, it builds the same place, the same village. So it builds the world. You, you, you get to know the world from different angles. Yeah. And my land is mostly in, in Montreal. So that's a dif different kind of novels. Um, but you get, you get two different views of Quebec, but they 
also connect, I think. They're very diff uh, they're very not different but similar the point of view sort of because you're very much inside the narrator in both of them. Um, in in this one, it's I'm not sure if there are five different. I think might be four different people and but there are five uh, five short stories. I'm not sure if the two first is actually the same narrator. I thought about that maybe, but maybe not. Um, but it's, so it's more like a picture of a village, like you said. You see it from different angles, uh, clashes or well, like relationships between the people who live there all year around, around and the people who only come there for summer vacation or for hunting for short periods mm. of time. And the different classes and people from the village and people from the city who don't go together. Um, when I read, it's very beautiful short stories. The f the especially the first one called Trailer Park, maybe in English, Husvagnen in Swedish. Uh, it's about, like a few of the novels, a man who is left behind. Her, his woman has left the, the little village and met a, a new man from the city. Um, and he's struggling how to, to get on with life. And it ends almost in violence in a lot of novels. It's on the on the surface all the time. It's a very good story about self-image. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. they talk, they mention the object in different ways. One says, says the house and the other one says, oh, you mean the trailer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and as me coming from the north of Sweden, it could be, it could be a story about uh, a, a man who's been left behind in the north of Sweden. Mm -hmm. Almost all the characteristics is like in Swedish. They, the hockey, the hunting, everything is, uh, could be a short story from up north, I think. Mm. And you were also talking, I think, about the silence um, that is often between the characters, that they maybe they don't speak a lot, but maybe they can't also express what they actually feel. There's like, there's a lot of things hanging in between them. You can almost feel that the air is like thick uh, and they would need to say things to each other, but they speak very little. Um, at least in the first one, we were talking about the wife and the husband. Like you said that the wife calls, they live in a trailer, but she calls it the house. And you can see already then that she's, she's moving away. She wants something else than this trailer, and she starts by actually calling what she has. Uh, that is a trailer, that she actually calls it a house even before she has a real house. It's kind yes. of interesting, and oh, it's very yes. ni nicely put by the author. It's very sub subtle also. And the, car and the people in this novel are almost like they can't get out of, they can't find a new, uh, new life, they can't get out of this world, they're stuck here in this image of themselves, almost. Mm. And they Do you are, understand they, what I mean? And they are very hostile to the newcomers, to those who are only there for vacation over the summer. Mm. It's almost like, the, the, like this movie Hunters, it's a Swedish movie, but uh, I, I don't know if you have seen it, but you, you have, good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so, so um, it's, it's a very tricky question. They, they are sor sort of the servants of the masters who come there and just sort of... Uh, Eco-tourists. Uh, eco yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they are afraid, all afraid of, of the city, people from the city. They come with strange ideas, but also very n nice written in the first novel. He, he, he has some longing for, for what the people from the city are doing. They are sitting up all night and talking and drinking wine. 
and he's driving by with his uh, big one, and uh, he wants to. He's interested in them, very subtle. I think this is exactly what I like in Tremblay, is that if you take the two main characteristics that I was talking before, silence and the note or the idea, and then instead of taking just the good side of it, mm. but she keep the good side of silence and as a language, uh, like when she meets with the people, sometimes they don't talk at all, but this is a language. Mm -hmm. So it's, we'll go to Transformer, but it's exactly a language without word uh, that is there. So she keep that, but also for silence, she know that in small village or small post, which is the case of the North, the law of silence is violent. Uh, the si uh, law of silence means that you don't discuss uh, the difficult things and sometimes violence against the, the smaller one or the weaker one. So when you don't discuss something in a village, it protects the social cohesion, but it destructs the, the, the weaker people. So silence can be on both sides. And for the North, uh, she's fascinating, but the North, uh, she comes from there. That's the origin, people stay. And at the same time, she say, my North is full of truckers, is full of alcohol, is full of violence. It's full of dirt. And this is the North that I know. And yeah. we discussed it earlier, but you know that from Northern uh, Sweden, you have this idea of beautiful nature and you arrive in a village and oh there's something else there's, there's people, other people. There. yes <laughs> people and they do not correspond of this beautiful view of the north that we have in uh, poetry mm -hmm. or any, anything else so both side mm -hmm. makes the uh, the symbol of the north and science so fascinating and strong and yeah. uh, about the idea of not writing uh, i forgot to it came back to me because Liz Tremblay, I met her maybe three times, and she came to Scandinavian countries to do tour also. And she said, I am like um, uh, uh, a woman that, is, um, that lost her mind and talked to herself all the time. <laughs> so actually I write my novel like this voice that is inside me and I just put there. And you notice in the novel sometimes you don't hear Peter is saying, but you hear... Uh, Peter is saying that this thing happened and I answer and I answer. So it's just one voice mm -hmm. that gives you this idea, like if you mm -hmm. enter in his head and actually nobody's talking around. So you That's don't know if it's true what they said. In, in this novel, <coughs> My Land, it's in, in, her, in her head, Absolutely. the, yeah. the main Maybe character in this, this book. Maybe I can just read the first, uh, first sentences here and you'll get a feeling for it. It's very short sentences and she... <coughs> Like um, almost like a film we talked about earlier, that you could it use could this a as a manuscript. Uh, that's from the novel My Land, yeah. Yes. Uh, my mother is parked in front of my place. I don't know how long she's been waiting. Her car motor is running. Her car window is open a crack. I walk over. My mother is asleep, her head thrown back, her false teeth clasped in her left hand. On the front seat beside her, the pile of old magazines she's brought. She religiously buy all the celebrity weeklies featuring the latest gossip about our local stars. At the end of each month, she brings them to me. This is the bond we have between us. So they will well. meet yeah. and they will have instant coffee, not talk, the mother will go, and she will be back next month. Yeah. So they don't talk, they just uh, they have their own language, they care for each other, 
but they will never say. And uh, at one place, she says something that I heard from my uh, grandmother that is something important. If you say something and you want it to happen, no, if you want something to happen, don't say it. And it's something she comes back always. Like if language will actually realize that you want to realize in real. Mm. Like if language would be another world killing the real one, that's an oh, uh, incredible thing. So silence is the only way to have thing happen yes. in this uh, belief, I would say. It's nice when we enter the church here, it says silence, please. Yes. <laughs> and it's silence is like, it, it's much, very much silence in her novels and it's silence in Transgermers, but it's uh, different type of silence? Can it be the same or is it always but, but, different but type of silence? I don't it's know. almost like it's uh, carved out like or not or what do you say cut out from a um, marble or yeah. something like that. Yeah. The silence in her novels is almost like heavy like a burden yeah. but it, in transdermous poetry it's more like a relief or yeah. something that you want. I don't know. One is poetry and yeah. the other is yeah, novel of true. course uh, but I feel that Silence is at the, the core of both work. Uh, like, uh, of course, uh, in Transtromer, the center of the world is where you are in the forest, everything is silent, you have little branch falling. This is the center of the world. And then you go further, there will be one man. You go further, there will be more people. You go further, then there will be a city. But the center of the world is not in the city, it is in the forest where it's silence and you feel those branch falling. And then the, the center of the world or the discussion is also in silence. Uh, and what I find fascinating in both is that it is in everyday life that you find the mystery of those things. It's not in extraordinary things happening, like the mother is waiting in the car, and in Transformer you have a little branch that falls on, on the ground. So the most simple the things are, the more complicated they are. And both writers actually use the less word as possible to express the thing. So they know that the less you say, the more it has an effect uh, in the world. And I think they share completely this, uh, this point of view, mm -hmm. even if you don't have this um, dark side, maybe in uh, trans trauma mm -hmm. that is uh, in trauma, or the social side that mm -hmm. is absent. Uh, that, that's true, it's, it's a very dark <coughs> and, uh, and a very strong uh, 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 Sto story in, when you re read Mile End, uh, be because she, the main character, she, she feels uh, she, she, she's obese, she's very large, and she also knows that. And uh, more and more in the story, as her psychosis goes on, uh, she, she understands that she also smells. She smells like the people from home. She hates herself. She, she hates herself, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's. she's, she's uh, Though she's going into a psychosis, she, she, she gets, gets very, very much um, a sort of relief. She understands things and she tries to shake up not only herself, but her mother as well. But mm. nobody understands her <laughs> because she's, well, if you're a prophet, it's hard to, uh, to translate to the others around. Mm. And, and the other aspect that we have always in Tremblay is that uh, what she called the immigration from the province. And it's fascinating, and I think it's very universal, like uh, who among you here really come from the center of Stockholm, where we are now? So if you come from another place and you arrive in the city, like immigrants, you have to learn new codes, new ways, sometimes uh, eliminate your accent to be mm -hmm. back in the city and understand how people work in the city. So you are actually an immigrant. 
And when you go back to your small town or the other town, there's some topics you cannot discuss anymore because it changed the way we understand the world, the way we see the things. And often we come to larger city for institution, education, and so on. So uh, moving in the space of a country mm. actually changes social classes and mm. changes the people. So in the first novel that you mentioned, Iran uh, Island, or mm. I don't know how it was translated, but um, on one island you have the people living from there, those who got richer from the town and came back, and those who are the new ecological people from the city. And actually, and they are the, the people who don't get a well at all because they have the same territory and they think about differently. So this, um, uh, I would call it social ecology that she brings is, is different. And for me, it's uh, essential in this uh, area of uh, being far, being close, and uh, being in this territory of the north. Mm. It's very interesting that she brings in the <coughs> also... Um, the point of view of the people who come to the village who don't live there all along or who have been to the city and moved back uh, because they're also like uh, trapped in, in themselves and in their lives and they even though they try to connect with the people that they can't either so they're both sort of uh, equally unable <laughs> to connect sort of the people who live there and the people who come back and uh, even though they might not want to, they always seem to get sort of an anthropological view, view of the, the village. They sort of can't help it. They would like to be a part of it and intermine with the others, but mm. they, it's sort of impossible almost. And this is a very contemporary theme because yes. we, uh, in the small village are disappearing everywhere, so people concentrate in big town. So the people who stay in a small town actually becomes like the slave of the other because they take care of the cottage, they take care of the people. Mm -hmm. They have to change their way of living because people from the city want ecological food and they don't have it in the village, so they change their way for them. And they are there only to serve the others mm -hmm. that come back. And it makes a, 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 a very big disruption in, in the territory, in the way. And it's the only way for them to survive in the village. So they are trapped in this uh, situation mm -hmm. uh, that we can experience really everywhere. Like the immigration of province and this, for me, it's really universal and uh, very yeah. important. Yeah. To, and we can apply, like you say, to northern Sweden yeah. and elsewhere. Yeah. A, lot yeah. of, a lot of the things that you can discuss, <coughs> discuss when you have read this book, Hagen, it, it could be, like I said before, it, it's subjects that a lot of talk about here in Sweden, like they say, if there weren't tourists, if there weren't this ecotourists, this little village couldn't live any longer. We need them. And, uh, yeah, but then the people uh, from the city tells to the people who always live there yeah. how to manage the yes. territory, how to hunt, how to act. And uh, so they come back with a view on the others that they impose to the others, and mm. uh, the conflict mm. uh, begins there. Yeah. Mm. And, and, and in, in my land, uh, she, she, the main character, she sees that she sees that when she comes, she tries to come back from to her origin. Uh, she sees how her relatives, who she doesn't really know anymore, but she she wants to know them, uh, and she sees that how they fix the cottages and they work for the others, and uh, she tries she tries to find something that's real. She tries to find something origin, but it's too late. 
so she can't come back. It's very, it's it's a very sad story, but it's very strong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, well, in the other, it's someone from the north that goes to the town, and she goes back to the town mm -hmm. to understand how she is uh, unable to live. And actually, she goes there, and uh, you remember there's one of the family that actually asked her, "What did you came to look for here?" Mm. Did you find what you were looking yeah, for? Yeah, yeah. And she answered, yes. But she didn't ask. So just going, seeing was enough without uh, yeah. any uh, language again, mm -hmm. uh, words uh, again. Mm -hmm. and coming back to this Transtromer poem that you, we were talking about, one of his most famous poems. Did you find it, maybe? Uh, yeah, with my bad Swedish would make a spoken language without word. And, uh, this is at the essential of keeping the things in another in way and have a real language instead of yes. uh, only words. Uh, um, it's the I have read, read Transtromer in many years, but this is the first time I've ever read his poems in English, and it's quite nice to do that. You re rediscover and you see other things. And me and Patrick was talking about this when we had read your essay and we were looking for uh, Transformer poems about snow, about the winter, about blue, about this, and there are so many, <laughs> and I haven't really noticed before. Mm -hmm. uh, and this poem that you have been, uh, and we talked about the last time we met, uh, from Mars, 1979, uh, the untamed has no words, the unwritten pages spread out on every side. I came upon the tracks of deer's hooves in the snow, language but no words. Um, um. Should we read it in Swedish as well? Yeah, read a whole oh poem yes. in Swedish. Yes. Sure. Um, Maybe. Från mars 79. Trött på alla som kommer med ord, ord men inget språk, for jag till den snötäckta ön. Det vilda har inga ord. De oskrivna sidorna breder ut sig åt alla håll. Jag stöter på spåren av rådjursklövar i snön. Språk, men inga ord. Mm. And uh, even if we say that the north is pure in transformer, and that's why I like to, sometimes you have a little piece of something. Like I said, there's truckers and alcohol. And in, when you look carefully, there's a poem that says, actually, the north is a territory with wonderful electric lines. Then you have something from technology that brings the beauty of the territory too. So it adds yes. also this vision yes. of the practical note. Mm -hmm. And this uh, poem, I have it in Swedish mm -hmm. too, because I can read that, I very like. It means that even if there's no one in the, in the north, um, there's some people. But then if the people would disappear, it's not only the people who would disappear, it's all the north that would disappear with them. And it's very beautiful. It talks about a bus, I just uh, read it. Um, actually, I can the read it in French because I read it yeah, first yeah. in the French and then the you will read it in, is cold in, 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 in... But I have it in Swedish there for you to read. Yeah. Okay. Can I read it in my language? Yes, yes, yes of course. <laughs> Please. <laughs> that would be easier. Mm -hmm. And I read Transformer in French and it's well translated, actually. Uh, it's not me. A reminder, now you got to read the poem. I have poem. to read the poem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, L'autobus se traîne dans la soirée d'hiver. 
et lui comme un navire dans cette forêt de pins où la route est un canal mort, étroit, profond. Peu de passagers, quelques vieux et aussi quelques très jeunes. S'il s'arrêtait, s'il éteignait ses phares, le monde soudain disparaîtrait. Just those two? Okay. Bussen kryper genom vinterkvällen. Den lyser som ett skepp i granskogen, där vägen är en trång, djup, död kanal. Få passagerare, några gamla och några mycket unga. Om den stannade och släckte lyktorna skulle världen utplånas. It's like the complete world would disappear oh, yeah. without yeah. few people. Mm. Okay. And, and this is the, the whole poem. This is the last lines of the poem. Uh, Winters formula. Winters formula. Formula. Yes. Uh, yeah, right. And it also so has this this uh, and, uh, and that which was I is only a word in the December's dark's mouth. Right. It's one. So very few things, but those things means more. And I think uh, you all been, I guess, in a cabin in the forest uh, alone. <laughs> and then it's nice, but at the same time, not some people don't like it at all. And then you hear one small noise. And then the noise means, <gasps> what's this thing? And it means a lot around you. Uh, like compared to the city, when you hear one noise, You don't, mm -hmm. you don't worry at all. So the simplification or the, uh, um, the yeah. fact that it's more rare, the signs, yeah. it gets a greater value. So using less word or being uh, interested by few people in a bus and if they disappear, the world mm -hmm. will disappear, yes. uh, makes that you can concentrate on uh, fewer things. Uh, that means uh, greatest uh, Yeah, you meaning. see things clearer. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I I I, re I remember when we when we prepared for this talk um, that uh, there's a passage in uh, the book Mile End, uh, Don't Drive, uh, by Liz Tremblay, where she has to stay with her uh, her mother because there is there's a snowstorm outside and she has to sort of go back because she's she's uh, she's surrounded by things that remind that reminds her of her. Um, Um, time being a young adult, uh, not so long ago, but it feels like 100 years ago so mm -hmm. at the same time. But uh, the sto snowstorm, um, you said that, that, that that's a very important image uh, for that passage. Um, do, you remember, well, uh, do you remember what, what you were ta talking because I... It, it yeah, uh, if I remember right, she yeah, goes to the mother in the suburb and she finds that the mother didn't really immigrate to Montreal because she lives in an area that is neutral like she saw the, the kitchen and the kitchen is too white the floor is too white everything is too clean and she feel that there's something what what is she hiding uh, cleaning the house all the time like this and actually she goes there to tell her you have to move back to where you are or yeah. somewhere else because you're not leaving anymore and actually she doesn't say anything and the snowstorm is there and she's stuck in with her mother for longer than she wanted and the snowstorm does the effect that i told you before we are inside yes. so they have to be in more intimate position because of a snowstorm and this is the moment she shares something with her mother and that is a drink of southern comfort so southern comfort <laughs> brings them 
like through the snowstorm, closer with the alcohol and, and the feeling. And then she doesn't say anything to the mother. She goes back to Montreal, and in the metro, she, she feels all the dirt and the smell of the metro, and she melts in it, saying, I am living in this dirt, and this is me, because the mix is where life is. And that's a fascinating image. Like uh, she, she preferred to live in the mix of the city instead of the purity of a place uh, where life uh, actually disappeared completely. So the using snowstorm as an effect inside the cold and the salt yeah, and comfort yeah. is a word game maybe, but it works perfectly in the, the novel. Yes, mm. it's a sort of revelation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I think that it's time, that it's due time to, to let the audience uh, come with comments or questions or uh, anything. You can come with candy. <laughs> <laughs> but well, we, we, we usually it's very silent for a while, but, but we, we, talk about, we, we have talked about silence. So that uh, we, should, we, we should uh, finish yeah. with something more positive about yes. the North. This was a yes, very dark please, image please. of... of <laughs> but a, pr a practical thing is that uh, Lise Tremblay will, all the seven novels will be translated to Swedish. And I yes. think um, it's a sign that there's a connection between the two literature that is very strong. Mm -hmm. So you could read it in your own language, which is much easier than going to another uh, There are lots of Swedish writers from the North who is translated into French or reading uh, in, in Quebec. True France. Uh, well, you can find it's mainly Quebec. true France, but you know that how, uh, that get reviews in the Quebec yes, the, 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 the Nordic literature like in general are extremely uh, popular in French market. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you're lucky for that. Mm. People know Transdrammer, of course. Oh, we are lucky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's really interesting, so I could recommend it to you also to read them together, these two, because they have similarities, but they're also very different oh, yes. pictures or different aspects of the North that comes, mm -hmm. like you were talking about with the image of nature. And uh, also with um, uh, the human or social ecology, like you were saying, mm. that in her novels it's so important, the relationships between people. And with Transform it's often the solitude and the, the inner landscape. You were talking about winter as inside, but winter can also be like, like inside a human being, yeah. like the space and silence inside. Mm. And Elias, you wanted to finish with a poem? Uh, no, I just no? think <laughs> finish with a good question. Yeah. Um, hi. Um, very interesting talk. One of the things that um, I think the commonalities of living in northern spaces, be it in Canada or be it in, in Nordic Sweden or uh, Nordic countries, there are a lot of similarities. Um, there are some, however, distinct historical differences between both. Uh, where one has inhabitants for thousands of years and in Canada for only barely 400. How would you think this plays, or this has played in literature on one hand and on the social or cultural construct that winter is, mm -hmm. based on the fact that one is relatively very new, living in this northern reality and the other being very old and being original inhabitants in a way. Uh, we were talking about that when we met uh, like yesterday and uh, maybe that I had a thesis that people in the, like the north of Sweden is more um, homegrown, more close to their... They are more like... They haven't lived for as 
the same t time in, in the north of, of Quebec. They are mm -hmm. more, they're not really that close to, to their villages, their the landscape like people in the north of Sweden who has been in maybe generations, I don't know. Uh, uh, it's complicated. Yeah, um, of course it's complicated, <laughs> but, uh, but you can uh, find that maybe in... In my point of view, you will have the north of Quebec, north of Sweden, but also Stockholm and Montreal. Uh, we are also, like you said, Nordic in this term. Like uh, Stockholm is also Nordic from this point of view, but there's more northern in the north. Um, it, it has been a colonization of the uh, north at different point of view in 100, 200 years in some points. But people have been living there for thousands of years too. It's just a colonization process. And actually, is it me again? I close it and continue. And actually, you have in uh, the similarities of those towns in northern Sweden too, like Kiruna. Uh, you know, a city built around a mine that is quite new. And actually, it brings the same reality that we have uh, in northern Quebec. But it's true that the difference of people have been living there. And uh, we mention also the situation of the Sami and the situation of native people at home. You know, uh, uh, Swedish arrived at a period where it was normal to colonize a territory over the other one that were there. But since we arrived at really at the territory of the native people in the 20th century, then today you don't do that anymore. So we stopped the colonization there and those people are there. And that's the main difference in the occupation of the territory. Um, and it goes back to something very theoretical about the north. There's always a, something more north over. And you're in Stockholm and you think, oh, the north is there. And I've been working with people in Iceland, children in Iceland, and uh, we ask them, can you draw the north? The north was not Iceland. It was with igloos and everything. <laughs> and I, I teach, uh, actually, Liz Tremblay with, uh, in a seminar with the Greenlandic people in Nuuk. So uh, I said, okay, I am with Greenlandic people. I will ask them, where is the north? Oh, the north is in Tulle. Mm -hmm. Okay, it was not in Nook, it was higher <laughs> again. So it, it is a major function of the north that there's always more north. And uh, some very nice narrative actually plays on that. Somebody arrived one place, it's not north enough, and over and over. And the man who was supposed to arrive at the North Pole the first, because if you know the story of the discovery of the North Pole, it's not clear who, who did it. But one of them wrote a very good narrative about it, so for me, it's him because it's the best uh, narrative, so we'll never know anyway. And actually, he arrives at the North Pole and he says, I've been looking to go to the North and North all my life. And now, no matter where I go, my, uh, my foot will go to the South. So I find out that the North that I was looking is actually inside me. And actually, all this going up, up North has also something dealing about yourself and inner self. And it is something we find in all the writers. Uh, it seemed it, it seemed geographical. It's in uh, difficulties, physical difficulties, but at the end it goes with something that is um, uh, maybe in fewer things um, that attracts a lot of people. Not religious, but in a way that uh, transcendental. We can say something that goes bigger than you are. And it's something we find, I think, in. All the writers of the world I can think of. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, a, a great thank you to the audience. Yeah, so we have so one nice, more question so nice, down there. So nice that you are here. Uh, uh, oh, oh, there, there was a question. Oh, please, please. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry. Hi. Not, not so much a question as, as a comment um, about winter phobia. It's a modern phenomenon, I would say, and an urban phenomenon uh, largely, because if you read early Quebec literature, winter is the time of socializing because winter was the time when you could travel on, uh, you know, on the frozen rivers and you visited and you would get snowed in at the next door neighbors, which would be like, uh, would be miles and miles and miles away. You would stay for two weeks and have a party. And uh, I taught in Quebec yeah, a couple of times and um, last in the 70s, the early 70s. And it was still like that. Uh, winter was party time <laughs> and the carnival in Quebec is I think probably a, a, a memory of that or, or you know a relic of that so the whole thing about winter phobia is total news to me <laughs> I've never heard about it uh, certainly not in Quebec and it seems to me to be a very modern and very urban phenomenon the thing that I loved about when I first came to Quebec and looked and listened to or watched the weather reports on television, it was totally different from Sweden because it was like, oh, there's going to be snow tomorrow. Get your skates out. Get your skis out. You know, have a party. Have fun. In Sweden, even then, it was like, oh, no, stay indoors. It's going to be cold. You know, so I just wanted to, to sort of point out it, that I don't think it's a traditional, you know, mon pays n'est pas un pays de l'hiver. I mean, winter used to be celebrated. I just wanted to correct. We were talking about the, do the darkness <laughs> also. It's, it's the difference. Yes. Of course, we love the winter in the north of Sweden, but it's very dark in the north of Sweden. But it's not that dark in Quebec because it's much more south, mm -hmm. and the winter is therefore very different. Uh, but I think your remarks is, is very uh, right. And Actually, it, it, it goes back to what we, you were, say, uh, were saying, when we launch a word in the world, and this is a new word, winterphobia, you see, it means something and then we can discuss and we need one word mm. to discuss about one thing and you're right that this phenomenon of uh, winter as a problem is completely urban. Uh, the car will not uh, start, uh, the snow has to be removed from the street, and of course snow becomes in the worst state ever that is humid and water that is nobody uh, likes. But in the countryside then you only have the good side. It's easier to move from one place to another even without word, uh, roads, by um, skidoo, or by going on the ice and so on. And it brings people together when they have no work to do and so they can discuss and uh, tell uh, tales. Um, I don't think it's a characteristic of any countries, but everyone has a different winter phobia. And it's a, it's a project that we had with a colleague here at the University of Stockholm, one in Paris and one in Montreal, to see what is the different winter phobias in the world. And for us, it will be probably the cold. At some point in February, people find that the winter begins to be long. And you know, the last snowstorm in Quebec is always in the early April. So people, oh, there's a snowstorm again this year. Yes, like every year, but then it's too long. So the, the duration would be probably the cause of winter phobia or the cold. As in here, it will be darkness probably, uh, uh, this darkness that, that you feel that the sun coming back would be something uh, different. And uh, in Paris, like a city 
of the north. I consider Paris a city of the north in some way when you look at all the Europe. And actually, is what they call the grayness that is there all the time, wet, gray, no sun, no cold, and this intermediate climate that they cannot stand anymore. So the idea would be in a conference to discuss in three different places this concept of winter phobia. And uh, probably some of them would say, we don't have this. And then we'll look at the uh, popular culture and uh, so on, and in the media, and I'm sure we'll find some, uh, some other things then. But, after but it is a concept that we have to discuss and to see that it is part of our non-relation to a season. But after this heat wave, so we're going to have like summer phobia from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I Me heard, at least. I heard some people were complaining about the summer. Yeah. Yeah. Too warm. Everyone has been. <laughs> so now we have winter longing. Thank you very much, my colleagues, Alice, thank you. Elias, and thank you. a very great thank you to Professor Daniel Shakir. And thank you of the Stockholm Library for bringing this. It's a wonderful way to discuss. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.